Hello and welcome to a very energetic episode of your Green Canary podcast. We've certainly got a lot more energy uh, than unfortunately some of the citizens of New South Wales and Queensland do at the moment. We're going to be talking about those power outages, what's going on, the near blackouts. We will also be talking about another form of power which has been in the headlines in a big way this, uh, this week. Nuclear power, of course, we speak about. And we're going to talk a little bit about humpback whales, which, to be frank, are my equal favourite type of humpbacked thing, right alongside the humpback of Notre Dame, of course. Well, <laughs> Why would you like the humpback of Notre Dame, man? Because it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful tale, Elfie Scott. It is lovely <laughs> to be sitting opposite you as usual today. Do you have any favourite humpbacked things apart from whales? No, I don't actually, but I am a very big fan of the humpback whale. I love whales and I have a very strange ability to be able to spot their spouts from like kilometres out. I'm very good at whale spotting. So we're going to talk about your whale watching towards the end of the potty when we get back into the mulch section, just some of the little clippings. But let's dive like a whale into some of the (laughs) really big stuff that is going on Right now, and I think we should start backwards. I think we should start with with the the news that closed out last week before we get to the overnight uh, news about power. So yep. let's talk nuclear. What's going on, Elfie? Oh gosh. Okay. So this week, opposition leader Peter Dutton confirmed his pick for the climate and energy portfolio. Who is the Liberal MP and nuclear power advocate Ted O'Brien? How do you say nuclear? I think I just mispronounced it. You said nuclear. I didn't like, say like nuclear, an, like an American, didn't I? It's, I, th- I think we say nuclear, like like the word new and the word clear. What what I've noticed Chris Bowen saying is nuclear. Um, I clearly remember um, George Bush Jr., George W. Bush used to say nuclear as well. <laughs> so, look, I don't think it's really a speech impediment. It's just how some people say it, but uh, it's nuclear. Oh, I can't do yeah, it. Yeah, nobody can do it. All right. Anyway, this appointment basically is being taken as a signal that Dutton is taking nuclear power seriously now. And he told ABC Radio National last week that he was not afraid to have a discussion about it. So, yeah, we're debating nuclear power again and really this debate dates back to the 1970s in a lot of ways when you know people started to see prohibitions around nuclear power um currently in australia there is a ban in every state and territory uh for nuclear power generation but increasingly there's just been this argument from the liberal party really since the john howard era for australia to move past those bans and start generating nuclear power i'm really trying to say it correctly every time i go back to it but ant what do we think about nuclear power in australia in general well look i'll just answer that in a sec but just to go back you you spoke how you know about the 70s and 80s i'm old enough to remember the nuclear disarmament party wow which preceded the greens it was it was the ndp well it it preceded the greens as as a major national entity uh that people were aware of peter garrett started his whole um environmental activism around the nuclear issue long before he moved on to everything else and eventually at some point became Labor's environment minister uh, as well as writing an enormous catalogue of kick-ass Midnight Oil songs. But (laughs) (laughs) but look, here's what I think is happening, Elfie, and and, and I think (laughs) the, the debate has turned here because the coalition needs to talk about alternative energy sources. Mm -hmm. Um, It knows that fossil fuels are on the way out. It cannot mention renewables because that is the teal talking point. They have lost the teal voters for 
perhaps a generation, certainly for a few elections. So they are not going to get those tier voters back. They are going to the suburbs. They are going to places where they think they can win voters. They can't um, put their eggs in the fossil fuel basket. They can't put them in the renewables basket because there's no votes there for them. They have to put them somewhere. This is my theory on why we are now talking about nuclear. This brings us to the next point. Um, Chris Bowen, uh, our new uh, climate change, didn't have that title in the minister before when Angus Taylor was the guy, climate change and energy minister, I love saying it. Chris Bowen uh, basically said the whole nuclear debate is complete junk. Yeah, and look, <laughs> that that position is really backed up by uh, research organisations. Like, for example, the Climate Council have really spoken about the high cost, that the prohibitively high cost, I believe they call it, uh, associated with nuclear power de- generation in Australia. Uh, further to that, there are risks borne by the public in terms of health. Uh, it's very water intensive and heat vulnerable, which is not fantastic in Australia, one could say. A when you dry, think of a nuclear country, country, you think of Russia, you think of um, North Korea, you do think of the United States, you do think of France, but you don't really think of extreme heat. Mm. Well, actually, America is one of the hottest places in the world, but not where they have the nuclear plants. Um, so Australia's not a good country for nuclear. And there was a terrific report written in 2019 by a couple of energy es- experts, Audrey Quick and, and Tom Swan. I actually spoke to Tom this week. Uh, he wasn't able, unfortunately, to come on the pod for a couple of reasons. But but look, their report in 2019, uh, which was called Overreactor, which I suppose you know speaks for itself, the title, um, they said that nuclear takes too long. I mean, at minimum, it's 10 years. This to build is, a plant. Oh, to build, but also when you talk about approval processes, the debate that we'd have to have in Australia, we would be talking a generation, if you mm. class a generation as, say, 25 years, something like that. Sure. That is way too far in the future. Um for us to be looking at alternative energy sources coming online. Right, So, yeah. So time is, 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 I reckon, the biggest factor, but they also found that it just doesn't work as, as a cost factor. And I won't go into the details, but cost blowouts in the building phase, costs all over the problem, uh, cost problems all over the place. And, and the other big one, apart from heat that you mentioned in Australia, they wrote that the energy transition in Australia requires high levels of flexibility, not baseload, and and nuclear power is offline. So, look, it's not the power source for Australia. We're having this debate set by the coalition for, I believe, political reasons. It's not a realistic debate. I just think we need to move on from nuclear and, and, you know, perhaps we'll have a longer discussion with the authors of this report at some point to go through some of these points to, 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 to leave as a resource, a podcast forever, that people can say this is why nuclear ain't such a good idea in Australia, but it's not. Totally. And I think another point to walk away from this with is that Australia has these boundless resources for renewable energy. We could be a renewable energy superpower. There is every reason to believe that our natural resources could you know, uh, power the country and beyond, like hundreds of times over. So the fact that nuclear power is trying to wiggle its way in here is it, it's ridiculous in many ways. And, you know, I think that, yes, we will do an episode breaking down those particular argument points in the future. But for the moment, let's talk about blackouts, Ant. Yeah, renewable energy uh, superpowers um, like Australia, hopefully in the future, wouldn't have these blackouts, Elfie. So, <laughs> look... Part, as as people know, um, 
overnight in New South Wales and Queensland, some some areas have lost power. Some have have uh, been warned that they may. Um, this is still an, an evolving story. The blame game is in full swing. Um, the Australian energy market operator, AEMO, um, has urged households to conserve energy, to switch off appliances. Mm-hmm. I think that's reasonable. I think we should be doing that at the best of times. But right now, this crisis, let's, let's talk about the causes. The causes are a cold snap. Now, we, you and I sat in the studio last week and this cold snap had already started. It's been going for a week now. Yes, yeah, so it's been bloody freezing. By East Coast Australian standards. And, you, you know, Queensland's had all sorts of frosts as well. And that happens in Queensland, especially, mm-hmm. you know, inland. It's dry. They get a bit of southerly air surging northwards over the border. Uh, so, but it's been prolonged. Um, no records have been broken, but it's just been chilly. Um, and so... There have been outages. There have been uh, problems. But the, the, the problem is the outages are not just, oh, uh, a generator going down. Would you like me to make my generator going down noise as I did the other day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the problem. That is not the problem. The problem is the price of energy and some of the generators are actually being switched off. Mm. Um, there is a there is a story uh, today on Renew Energy, uh, Renew Economy, sorry. And for, for readers, for listeners, sorry, who don't go to Renew Economy, I'd urge you to go there. It's normally pretty sober. It's normally a pretty level um, site where it can almost be a tiny bit inaccessible, can't it? Yeah, but this uh, this particular article that I know you're about to talk about, it's quite balls to the wall, I would say. Yeah, that's really well said. And, and you know, the headline <laughs> is bonkers. And, and and when you look at Renew Economy's website, you know, most most headlines start with words like AEMO or, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or whatever, um, power grid. They don't start with the word bonkers. But, you know, bonkers. Queensland and New South Wales Energy Supply Crunch underlines farce of broken market. The farce of the broken market. So, look, without wanting to say too much more on this subject, this this is a problem with the supply chain. It is a problem with the companies that deliver us our power. It's a problem with prices as well, mm-hmm. but it's a problem with how they respond to their prices. And in some cases, generators, as I said, are actually withdrawing capacity because they can't make any money because consumers won't pay the ridiculously high wholesale price. It's it's complicated, but that's what's happening. It is a complete market failure. The whole system needs to be fixed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, we hope that in the coming weeks, consumers aren't themselves bearing the brunt of these issues too heavily because we're still yet to see, I think, the full uh, impact of this and how these blackouts will actually go ahead. I hear that um, your your partner, Evan, um, asked you to bring candles home. Is that correct? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in the car on the way home yesterday from the beach and uh, he messaged me and he was like, you need to buy matches. We've seen a lot of uh, blackout uh, risk things on the news. So please go and buy matches. And I was like, do you actually really think we need them? I don't know yet. And that's the world we live in. We we, we don't think this will happen, but it's happening. And so when you... Have your seance at home. You, you, uh, <laughs> that's what you're really doing, wasn't it? Yeah, it's true. We were trying to summon the undead. I'm so sorry. Right. Um, but <laughs> we'll see how we go with our, with our candles in the future. Anyway, let's talk about mulch now. These are the little curiosity stories, the clippings that Ant and I like to bring each other. Ant, 
Do you want to start off on the Sydney rental story that you brought to me earlier today? And I certainly do not want to segue from summoning the undead to Sydney Lord Mayor Clover Moore, because that would be deeply disrespectful, not to not not to mention just just wrong. It's just a very weird segue. <laughs> Look, I, I, I like Clover some days and other days I think she's a bit off and I reckon she's a bit off on this one. There's, there's a story uh, going around. Look, back in uh, 2021 last year, Clover Moore uh, pledged millions, 24 I believe, 24 million of uh, Sydney City Council. She is the Sydney City Lord Mayor for, for those who don't know. She's a big figure in Sydney. Uh, she pledged $24 million to bring forward by five years the council's net zero goal. To, so mm. to bring it from uh, 2040 to 2035, good for you, Clover. Now she's uh, nudging all sorts of people to, to to help them get a move on. And she's actually asking renters to, to chip in, which eh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, the, she's basically encouraging people to get onto this program uh, called Green Power, which is this government-managed scheme that lets households get access to uh, certified renewable energy. And I think it costs about five bucks a week for a household of three people, which I mean, look, I already take on the extra cost of buying renewable power through my provider. But look, I know that that's not accessible to everybody. And to my mind, I just feel like the housing crisis is is enough. Like people in Sydney are paying enough in rent. As much as I definitely encourage people to do this if they have the means to, I just, I don't think that anybody should feel like, you know, guilted into this. Um, No, I mean, Clover is actually telling renters to change their home energy plans. And it is good to be green environmental citizens. Yeah, absolutely. But but it's another thing entirely for for a a large city mayor with a big goal set by her council to tell some of um, the least well-off people in her area, uh, an area where I think a two-bedroom apartment rents for $700 a week on average. Yeah, that sounds about right. To uh, change your energy plans as well and pay for some green power. We all want everyone to do that. Not sure how this would be received. You know, I haven't seen the the Daily Telly let rip on this yet, but it just smells like the sort of story where where they could. So I just think she has to express herself bit better. Anyway, let's move on to one of your favourite subjects, Elfie. Misinformation. Okay, so this is a really interesting report. It's research published by this UK think tank called the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And basically what they've done is they've looked at the spread of climate disinformation around the globe. And what they have found and looked at very specifically was Sky News Australia as a source of climate change misinformation. So I am sure that we're all very well acquainted with Sky News Australia and particularly uh, the after dark clips that are much more heavily partisan and right wing and objectively awful. Um, But basically what this research has found is that the misinformation that floats on Sky News after dark is really floating around the globe. And this report has looked at the way that Sky News is making this very hefty contribution to the rhetoric that's being pushed by climate change deniers and attacks on renewables around the world. So from big public figures in other countries, including the US, it all, well, not all of it, but a large amount of it seems to come from Sky. Sky has done, you have to admire what they've done. They have no viewers right like like two people's cat and and someone who's asleep <laughs> is who watches sky sky news um but they stick it all on youtube 
and they've worked socials and YouTube yes. really, really well. They're very, very good at uh, pushing social um, content. So it goes around the world um, and they, they peddle garbage. I mean, I, you know, I remember when Rowan Dean, one of their, their sort of climate deniers, you'd have to call him, said, said quote, unquote, he remains deeply sceptical about the climate change narrative, uh, describing it as a pretext for the renewable energy industry to exploit taxpayer funds. Ah, renewable energy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if renewable is 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 exploiting, if renewables are exploiting taxpayer funds, please tell me what the eleven point six billion Australian dollars, which were were used to subsidise fossil fuels in the last year, what were they? With <laughs> you know. I mean, were they exploiting taxpayer funds or were they taxpayer funds well used? And you're trying to fight this argument with logic. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like well, well, <laughs> bringing a gun to a knife fight. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not a, the a, same. A, a gun to a knife fight or even a knife to a gun fight. Oh, I, <laughs> I know what you meant. Whatever. It's, it's like bringing a humpback whale uh, to you because you love humpback <laughs> whales, don't you? It's not like that at all. But it's you, not like that at all. Tell anyway. me about the time. Tell the listeners the time you went humpback whale watching in Tonga. Yes, sure. So I, so this is relevant to the next story because we're talking about humpback whales starting their migration up the east coast earlier than usual this year. But I was telling Ant before we started recording that I have been swimming with humpback whales before, and they are so beautiful in well I was about to say in person in whale mm. they're they're just gorgeous and like being under the water surface and seeing them come towards you is sort of like seeing a, like a bus coming towards you under wow. water it's just so surreal and and they're going up and down the east coast now aren't they they travel up to sort of Harvey Bay and places like that in Queensland yeah so they're traveling from Antarctic waters up north um, as the sort of the food sources travel and uh, basically what we're seeing this year is an earlier migration season this is possibly caused by warming waters but we also have to celebrate the fact that humpback whale populations have exploded in the past let's say 10 years so about a couple of decades ago we could expect about 10,000 whales to pass by sydney and now that number is more like 40,000 whales uh is that i because they've been doing a lot of <laughs> Well, they are called humpback whales. That's all I'll say. God, and... I'm so sorry. The remote... It is a conservation success story. <laughs> the humpback whales have been humping. Well done. Yes, thank you. All right. Let's talk about seagrass now because this is a very interesting story that I came across earlier this week. The world's largest plant, Ant, is a seagrass, and it has been discovered off the coast of WA, how many football fields do you think that it stretches over? Woo! Now we're talking my language because as we discussed recently, you cannot quantify the size of anything in Australia. It's actually illegal to do so unless you quantify it in terms of MCGs or football fields. Yep. Uh, lots. It's 80. 80 football fields. Wow. Um, so it was a very weird um, bit of research, but basically I think these people were uh, surveying this seagrass and they started taking DNA samples. Very quickly they realised back in the lab that the grass itself was genetically identical. So they realised that it's one single plant that's been cloning itself for about 4,000 years. I think my lawn's been doing that because it just... <laughs> Maybe it was La Nina, but I've never mowed it more than 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 I did last summer. So I, th I think it was cloning itself too. Okay, sure. So it's either the seagrass or your lawn that is the world's largest plant. Yes, that is exactly right. But yeah. it's, it's good news. On it's good news. Look, um, dugongs eat 
See, now I don't know if they're dugongs or dugongs. Uh, I would say dugongs. Nuclear, nuclear. But you can't trust me, obviously. Those things, they eat 50 kilos of seagrass a day. Wow. Greedy little bastards. So that's good news. I mean, the more seagrass, the better. And we had a bad seagrass story recently uh, when we spoke about the Great Barrier Reef, all the floodwaters. Uh, not good for the seagrass in, in, in Queensland because of the muddy waters. And they were they? worried about how it would affect the dugong breeding population. It is. And we do have the animal rule here on the Green Canary podcast, a sad animal, happy animal story. So now we have had the sad seagrass, happy seagrass story. Happy grass story, Love although it. not totally. All right. So that is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We would like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Well said, Elfie. And I would just like to remind everybody to subscribe to the newsletter. I had about 15 of you pop along this week, which is terrific. I would like that many as well um, this week because I'm greedy. Uh, And I'd like to share our newsletter with you. Please email hello at thegreencanary.co. Or you can say hello to us on a Twitter. We are at Green Canary Pod. On Insta, we are at Green Canary Media. We will be here next week. I hope we don't have to talk about energy, but I bet we ha- I bet we end up doing it again. This crisis isn't going anywhere, and neither are we. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>